used to be a high school teacher. I have honor as a teacher. I was respected by students, by parents. But financially, I was poor. But now I'm, I'm just a meat cutter. But I make ends meet. I, 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 I feed my families and I'm at ease. On the America Works podcast, West African immigrant Kamala Ehu tells oral historian John McCurley about how he left a prestigious but unprofitable teaching career in his native Togo to pursue the American dream. And this week, two from Labor History in Two. The year was 1834. That was the first time in United States history that a president called in federal troops to settle a labor dispute, and it certainly would not be the last. The year was 1912. That was the day striking worker Anna Lopiazzo was shot and killed by local police during the pivotal Bread and Roses strike in Lawrence, Massachusetts. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is Labor History Today. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1834. That was the first time in United States history that a president called in federal troops to settle a labor dispute, and it certainly would not be the last. President Andrew Jackson ordered federal troops to quiet the workers on the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal. The workers were predominantly Irish, but also included Germans, Dutch, and African Americans. They were digging a canal along the route of the Potomac River, which had rapids that made it difficult to traverse. The primary purpose of the canal was to bring coal from the Allegheny Mountains to eastern port cities. The goal was to connect the ports to the Ohio River and Ohio Valley. Work on the project was grueling. Rocky ground made digging the canal extremely difficult. Workers labored 12 and even 15 hours a day. They often had to work in ditches with mud or water up to their waists. They lived in poor conditions in shanty towns along the canal route. In 1932, cholera swept through the work camps, leaving death in its wake. Work stoppages plagued the project, which had originally been conceived by George Washington. Ten different significant incidents of labor unrest occurred during the more than two decades the project was underway. Workers became fed up with hard labor, low wages, and dangerous conditions. Andrew Jackson sent in troops to stop the workers' rebellion. The CNO Canal never made it to the Ohio Valley. The coming of the railroad derailed the completion of the project 180 miles from its planned ending point. All was not lost, however, as the president's action to send in troops to suppress workers set a precedent that others would follow in the years ahead. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Welcome to America Works, interviews with contemporary workers throughout the United States collected by the library's American Folklife Center as part of its Occupational Folklife Project. This is AFC staff folklorist Nancy Gross, and this America Works podcast features excerpts from a longer interview with Kamla Ehu, who was interviewed by oral historian John McCurley from the University of Iowa's Labor Center 
as part of his Archie Green Fellowship Project, documenting recent immigrant workers in Iowa's meatpacking industry. Mr. Ehu was born in the West African nation of Togo, where he attended college, earned a master's degree, and became a respected high school teacher. However, despite his success, conditions in Togo did not enable him to earn enough money to support his family. Intrigued by America and the chance to better himself, he entered the diversity lottery. Run by the U.S. government, the lottery permits a small number of qualified immigrants to come to the United States each year. After playing the lottery for 10 years, he won an immigration slot. In this podcast, he talks about how he raised the funds necessary to pay his way to the United States, how he found work on the picnic line in a giant Midwestern meatpacking plant, which remains one of America's most grueling jobs, and how grateful he is to be an American worker. His interview is a reminder of how much some of our neighbors have sacrificed to achieve a better life for themselves and their families as they pursue the American dream. Uh, yeah, I got first of all my uh, uh, bachelor degree uh, in linguistics. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I continued to have my master's degree in linguistics, and uh, I sat for uh, government completion, and uh, I I was selected. So I became a high school teacher and teaching English as a second language. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very difficult. It's not like here. And uh, uh, when I was, uh, I was teaching, I hold for me alone up to 600 uh, students. 600 students, me alone. And we have up to 200 students in one single classroom. Very difficult to manage. And uh, it is not like here where machine can grade. So after uh, a, a, an examination, I have up to 1,000 piles of papers to correct all night. And at the end of the month, you go to, to, to the bank, what you earn does not even reach uh, two weeks before you spend everything. You have to pay your rent, you have to take care of your family, uh, and Af- African family is big. Not only your uh, spouse and your children, but you have your parents, your nephew, and all those things. And because uh, not everybody is 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 uh, is working to end uh, mentally on mentally basis, so uh, you are the only person everybody is looking at. So it's that the the situation has become unbearable, and I say. I have to think, otherwise uh, I cannot become any, anything uh, if I continue that way. So uh, for that reason, I started playing the lottery visa. And when, when, when was that you, that you yeah, decided I, to make that decision? I started playing the lottery visa around 2000, 2001, yeah. And I played for 10 good years. Oh. Yes, before I was eventually selected, and uh, this is how I get here. I won in two thousand eleven. Okay. Yeah. So I came over here uh, December third, two thousand eleven. It wasn't easy. I nearly missed it because um, I was the I was among those last groups that should come that year. And uh, like I said it, a mere civil servant in, 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 in Togo, 
you don't have that much mean to to come over and uh, moreover before coming to her you need some to have someone here by whom you should stay uh, from the beginning and uh, to find that person too it wasn't easy so i talked to one of uh, my uh, colleague teacher who has a brother over here which is tajere oh <laughs> okay and uh, he said my friend don't worry i have a brother over there i will just connect you with him and he accepted to to host me to 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 um he accepted to accommodate me yeah so uh, now how how to pay a visa fee and whatever i had to sell my properties mm. i had to sell my uh, land yes and so far it doesn't reach because when people know that you are desperate they don't give the right value of what you are selling mm. so i sell all my properties but i couldn't i couldn't meet the needed amount so i went back to my colleague again i say and i plead to him to come and back me so that i get loan from bank and uh, he agreed though uh he was a little bit afraid because i'm leaving what if i didn't pay so but because he knows me he has confidence in me and he knows that i'm coming to live with uh, his brother he accepted he backed me and i took loan from the bank this is how i, I managed to make it and make ends meet and come over it was your first job working at um the the meat packing plant yes here? you know the problem over here is that uh whenever you come uh yeah from africa uh, your degrees no more matter yeah you cannot just come over with your degree and find whatever it is here so you have to start everything over so the only opportunity for us to work quickly and pay back our debts is to join the meat packaging plant when i came they they tell me that uh, well you have to you have to forget about your your title of teacher and uh, see life differently i say okay uh in the first two weeks it wasn't easy in my mind that uh, leaving my student uh, became uh, become a meat cutter uh, but uh, i said if this is the price why not so i just uh, forget about all those uh, uh positions that i have and uh, when i started any i say no i'm a meat cutter but i end my life more than when i used to be a high school teacher i have honor as a teacher i was respected by student by parents but financially i was poor but now i'm i'm just a meat cutter but i make ends meet i i i i i feed my families and i'm at ease all those who come here with the lower visa are educated people and uh, most of them have uh, uh, university degrees so uh, they are more open minded they know that uh, this is not where they should finish their life this is just uh, a step in the process to to the american dream yeah if i have to uh, i want to add something is that uh, united states is a great country it's a country of dream and 
any person can come here and become somebody. But it takes determination. And also uh, education is also key to success. So uh, the only thing I can say again is to thank you and thank everybody. And uh, it's for me a pleasure. But uh, the only uh, bad news you can hear is that I'm here alone and my family is still back home. Uh, because of uh, the broken immigration system, it's not easy to join families. I, I'm, 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 I'm having two, uh, two boys and one girl and my spouse who are back home in Africa. Uh, I'm still working hard for them to come over, but they are still not here yet. You've been listening to meat cutter and packing plant worker Kamla Sam Ehu, who was interviewed by oral historian John McCurley as part of his Archie Green Fellowship project to document recent immigrant workers in Iowa's meatpacking industry. To hear the complete interview with Mr. Ehu, as well as in-depth interviews with other recent immigrants from Africa, Asia, and Latin America who are working in the meatpacking plants of Iowa and Illinois, please visit www.loc.gov forward slash folklife, or just search online for the Occupational Folklife Project. This is folklorist Nancy Gross. On behalf of the American Folklife Center, thank you for listening to America Works. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1912. That was the day striking worker Anna Lopiazzo was shot and killed by local police during the pivotal Bread and Roses strike in Lawrence, Massachusetts. In what is considered one of the most important strikes in American labor history, the industrial workers of the world had organized a strike that brought out more than 30,000 textile mill workers at the American Woolen Company. Workers had been on strike for most of the month, picketing, marching, giving speeches, and stopping scabs. Their banners demanded a living wage and dignity, bread and roses. That day, there were workers' parades among pitched battles between strikers, police, and scabs. Gunfire erupted. According to Big Bill Haywood, 19 witnesses saw police officer Oscar Benoit shoot Anna Lopiazzo. The shooting provided the mill owners with an opportunity to crack down on the strike. Martial law was instituted, and all public meetings and marches were banned. The leading IWW strike organizers, John Edor and Arturo Giovanetti, were arrested for her murder, despite the fact that they were two miles away from the scene. Though they were eventually acquitted, their imprisonment removed them from directing the day-to-day work of the strike. But who was Anna Lopiazzo? According to Bruce Watson, author of Bread and Roses, Mills, Migrants, and the Struggle for the American Dream, if America had a tomb of the unknown immigrant paying tribute to the millions of immigrants known only to God and distant cousins compiling family trees, Anna Lopiazzo would be a prime candidate to lie in it. And indeed she was for 88 years, until retired IBEW 2321 business manager David Morris worked to get a headstone decorated with the bread and roses symbol of grain stalks and a rose for her pauper's grave. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show.
That's it for this week's edition of Labor History Today. You can subscribe to LHT on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do, please like it in your podcast app, pass it along, leave a review. That really helps folks to find the show. Labor History in Two is a partnership between the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. That's a labor-themed radio show out of Pennsylvania. Very special thanks this week to America Works. It's a podcast series from the Library of Congress featuring the voices of contemporary workers from throughout the United States talking about their lives, their workplaces, and their on-the-job experiences. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Our music today was Work Song performed by Carrie Chris, Jeff Hoffman, and the Dagmaniva Dance and Percussion Troupe in Togo in 2012. We've got a link to the video in the show notes. Labor History Today is produced by the Kelmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown University. The Labor History Today team includes Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pozak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. Thanks for listening. Keep making history, and see you next time. Thank you.